Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Welcome to another episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Today's guest is the children's laureate and children's author of How to Train Your Dragon and the Emily Brown series, which we are absolutely loving at home at the moment. She's a mother of three as well. It's Cressa Hello. Hello. So lovely to come on the programme. And I know, I know I very, very well, apart from the fact that I fell off a wall two weeks ago. <laughs> I think I cracked no. some ribs. So you must try and not make me laugh, which will be impossible. Oh, no. <laughs> Honestly, I feel so bad. So you obviously told me today, you know, don't worry, uh, the rib is cracked, but I'm fine to do it. And I was like, no, no, no. Because I know even being on the phone to my dad, who's broken ribs multiple times and falling off bikes and stuff, it, it is painful when people make you laugh. So painful. It really is painful. <laughs> Obviously, at the moment, isn't the moment to be going into casualty, is it? No. <laughs> so, they can't really do anything for a broken rib either, can no, they? No, I find that out on the internet. No, they can't really, no. Um, now, you see, this is that's what extreme gardening does for you. <laughs> it serves me right. <laughs> Shouldn't have been climbing on the wall. <laughs> do you always do extreme gardening or is it just a lockdown thing? I do quite like a bit of extreme gardening. If I see a sh- I, I, this, this was actually trying to climb up onto my writing shed, trying to cut the. Uh, and my son got up there, you see, and he was cutting them off. But I, I tried to follow, and I'm afraid I fell off that wall. <laughs> I know. Oh, no. I do love. Well, if I see a wall, I, I have this irresistible urge to climb it. So. It should have taught me a lesson. (laughs) We'll see. That's so in-fitting with everything that I have read about you or heard about you. I've got to say, so obviously, so my husband Tom is also a children's author and you've done events together. Yes. And when I said that I was doing this with you, he was like, oh my gosh, Cressida is amazing. She's got so many amazing tales from her childhood. She's brilliant. So you falling off your shed fits (laughs) right in with all the stories I've heard. I have to say, 
this is nothing compared to the trouble we got into as children. I mean, that's the thing. I suppose, yes, I was brought up in a time where we were allowed to do dangerous things um, and, in fact, positively <laughs> encouraged. I don't know whether that's, you know, we were... You know, we climb trees and um, I mean, I, I, I don't think you can really turn back time, though, because we were just allowed to play completely unsupervised. Um, and even out in dinghies, you know, a bit like swallows and Amazons and things like that. Um, and it, it, it did give us a sort of a wild childhood that I look back on with nostalgia you know, having your own kids, people often ask me, did you give your own kids that same freedom? And the answer is, it's so hard to turn back time. Because really? I sort of did. I mean, of course, I took them to the island, which is this little island where I spent a lot of time as a child. Um, I grew up in London in a house without a garden, but my dad was a mad keen bird watcher. So every year would be dropped off on this uninhabited island off the west coast of Scotland, an island so small that you could, when you stood on the top of it, you could see sea all around you. And we'd be dropped off by a local boatman and picked up again two weeks later. Nothing on the island, no houses, no mobile phones back in the 1970s. I know, they were crazy. <laughs> As a parent myself, I'm thinking they were crazy. What would have happened if somebody broke a leg? But they just didn't worry about that. Um, but, and then when Prior was nine, my dad got a boat and then we spent the whole summer on the island. So I, I've taught, took the children back there, but how do you, you know, I, even though I let them, you know, play in, in I, I couldn't do it in the same unsupervised way as I was, you know, I wouldn't let them go out without life jackets <laughs> in a dinghy, you know, like we, like we were. Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny that even though you knew that freedom, suddenly it's very different when it's your children and you think about, actually, this is a life and death situation. And I, I don't know. I don't know whether it's because do we hear more stories now, you know, more news or, you know, what, what is that? Why is that? I think it's because it's, it's not just an individual's decision. I think it's become socially unacceptable to do that. I think you'd be reported. I think you'd actually be reported. I mean, mine was not an unusual 1970s childhood. So many other people say, well, they were in Yorkshire and my, my husband was in Yorkshire and he was just allowed to play totally unsupervised as well. It was not unusual. Um, but, you know, in, in London, because I mostly, my dad's job was in London. In London, I was getting on the bus on my own um, with my little sister when I was six and she was five. You know, crossing London. <gasps> yes. Gee, different oh, times. Wow. Different times. See, I used to travel into London when I was 13 on my own. So I used to travel from Essex to London every day. And I thought that was that, whoa, mixing with all, you know, the workers. <laughs> but five and six, that's just so young. I know. But it was not unusual. And, yeah. you know, we weren't the only children. I don't think at my kids' school... You weren't allowed to um, leave the school unaccompanied until you were in year six. I don't know about your kids' school, is that? Yeah. 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 Um, and so I think it's not just individual decisions, it's a whole social decision. And of course, as soon as you start thinking about it in those terms, you know, I think we've become much more sensitive to danger. And so, and of course, we all love our children and our parents loved us back then it was just that it was such a different climate they didn't think about danger in that same way 
Um, and it was very, very different. We were, we were taught a lot how to cross a road and, you know, there were lots of campaigns about don't talk to strangers and, and that was all because we were unsupervised. But, I, you know, I think there is a loss there as well. Um, and a lot of my books are about the older ones. I know you're into the Emily Brown. And may I just say thank you so much for having Emily Brown on your story time. I'm very, I'm so oh, happy to she's hear brilliant, that. absolutely brilliant. <laughs> but my older books are a lot about nature and wildness and how, because I worry that children aren't having the same interaction with nature that they used to, um, and mm. therefore they won't understand the importance of looking after it and our connection with nature. Um, so a lot of my books are about that dragons represent wildness um, and magic that the kind of in, in the Wizards of Once books that, that represents wildness as well. There is just so much magic about you. There's just, you know what I mean? Even in the books, there's just the more I hear about you, I'm just like, I describe you in one word. It's magic. <laughs> I'll, I'll take that word. <laughs> But it's an interesting thing, even now going on walks and stuff. So whereas before, I guess because you were always on a time scale before lockdown, whereas even now we go for a walk, the older two who are six and four, they might kind of go into the woods a bit, then come back on the path. We just kind of are much more relaxed about it. Do you think so? And you think that lockdown has... You see, that's really interesting. That it, it, because all you have every day is to read books and then go out for walks and explore. Yeah. And I think that that's a very exciting thought. I, I'm also a person who really likes to look on the, on the sort of positive side of things. And I do think there are positive things that are coming out of, of lockdown. And like you, I mean, I've got much older children, but I find we're playing board games as a family you know more at the moment and card games and because there's that that time to do it and and that's so great to be doing something as a family like that you know we're playing all these you know all these board games my um my 16 year old has got hold of um and and we've just got more time to do that but that's wonderful to hear that you think that there's more unscripted time i think it, it has given us time to reflect on how busy our lives are and how sometimes in the busyness something gets lost and I'm I'm hearing a lot in fact Book Trust um, I'm, I'm the laureate for this charity called Book Trust this wonderful charity called Book Trust which gives books to every primary school kid in the country and little babies um, uh, you know get a, 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 a kind of free book a baby that baby pack came from Book, book Trust and they did some research to show that in lockdown so many parents it was the first time they were reading aloud a bedtime story with their children and I think it's just because they have that time and our lives are just so busy and I'm so sympathetic I look back to when I had little ones um, mm. and I just look back and I think how did I do it? I mean, I hate to say this to you because I know you're, you're in the midst of it, you know. But it's 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 tough, you know. If you have yeah. two parents, try, working parents, two working families, it's really tough. Um, and my husband was working for Save the Children, so he was he was flying all around the world, and you know he'd come back after two weeks, and, and I'd say, I've got a book deadline, throw them the ba- him the babies, you know. 
and and we just have less time I sort of think yeah. and that's really interesting that you're finding that you're having more time I mean some of it yeah. must be hard because you're homeschooling I mean I'm so sympathetic about that is that is that tough it is tough, but if I compare week one to, to last week, so obviously we're on half term now. So if I compare where we are between the two, it's actually, it's finding the enjoyment in it. It's no longer sort of going, you must do this. It's kind of sitting down and going, oh, wow, like you're doing, it's, that, it's the really weird shift in your brain. And I was talking to the headmistress actually um, last week and I, and I said, I actually think that after this, homework will be a doddle. And you probably will get, not everyone, but for a lot of parents, they're going to be more invested in what their children are doing. Just in terms of, oh, that's English, just go off and do it. It's kind of like, oh, you know, just that conversation. Like, I know how he learns now, which I didn't know before. That's really interesting. I mean, and I, I hope that, I hope as well, as well, and this is just the feeling I'm getting, is that, is that there's more chance at the moment for children to be a, creative I mean I think there's a lot of and I was already thinking of doing um, as laureate a campaign about this anyway Um, I think there's been so much emphasis on skills which of course is very important I mean of course children need the skills to read and to write um, uh, and to spell but but we can't lose that creativity on the way you know the creative industries make a hundred billion pounds a year for this economy and that's outperforming the rest of the economy by double. And yet we're seeing very low take up of arts at GCSE. We're seeing, and you know, all subjects need creativity. We need creative doctors. We need creative scientists. We need creative thinkers. Um, and so I think there needs to be more creativity, more emphasis on or time for poor teachers to fit that in, <laughs> you know, um, and value of that. And so I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm eternally hopeful. Um, that this lockdown has been an opportunity for children not to be always comparing themselves because they haven't got other classmates to compare themselves. I think often very young little kids think, oh, you know, the kid next door has much better handwriting and much better spelling. And so they can be really demoralised very young. Um, and so I hope that this, this lockdown time gives more emphasis on creativity. It's brilliant. And I think it allows allows children at the moment to kind of explore what they like. So at the moment, like Buzz is really into cars and racing or, you know, all these different things. And then he'll go off and he'll sort of turn it into a project. So today he's been designing a car and talking about it being aerodynamic and things like that. And you're like, you're six. How oh, do you know the words aerodynamic? <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> but you just kind of like run with it because you're learning, but you don't realise that you're learning because you're just enjoying what you're talking about. Exactly. So where did he learn that word from? Aerodynamic. I think him and Tom had been talking about it, but as soon as he heard the word, he was off. He was off and it, it just captured mm. his imagination. You see, yeah. I think often um, people underestimate children. You know, that's a long word for a six-year-old. But because he's interested, he grabs onto that word that it isn't a word. It isn't too sophisticated for him, you know. And he, that yeah. is really interesting. I, I'm a big believer in that. As children take in so much more when they're engaged and they're interested yeah. than, than if, they, if they have to learn it for something schooly or something, yeah. you know. Don't you think? Yeah, I think that's a... I definitely agree. Yeah. What sort of mum did you think you were going to be? (laughs) (laughs) What a great question. 
I think, okay, how to train your dragon. I wrote just as I had had my first baby. Um, right. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so, you know, there's that moment when you have a baby uh, and you look in the back of the car, you come out of hospital and you look at the back of the car and you think, they're going to let me out of hospital with a baby? But I know nothing about babies. <laughs> and because uh, you're so focused on the birth and everything, aren't you? And then and then you've got this baby and you're and you're then you're suddenly thinking. So I think the books were really in response to that. It could have been how to train your baby, really. Um, yeah. So I started looking back to my own childhood and thinking how I was brought up and how my parents brought me up and how I maybe wanted to bring my children up in a slightly <laughs> different way, if I'm being totally honest. This, <laughs> this is the danger of these, these podcasts. You feel like you're just talking to one person. <laughs> but yes, I think Stoic the Vast is definitely... I love my parents very much and my darling dad, but they were a different kind. I didn't want to be the same kind of parent and so it was a question of working out what bits you thought were good <laughs> what bits you were not you're not so keen on <laughs> um yeah so it's all about and hiccup is sort of being a parent to toothless i mean toothless the toothless in the books it's sort of uh, hiccup talking to toothless is me talking to my two-year-old at the time you know and it's, <laughs> it's you're working out because i suppose that's one of the things about being a parent that you don't realize when you're being parented by your own parents, is that so much of it you're trying to work out as you go along, aren't you? Because you think the grown-up has all the answers and actually they're kind of plodding along, working it out as they go and, and you realise that actually there's going to be mistakes because they don't know. And I think it's only when you become a parent that you kind of do think sometimes you're like, oh, well, that wasn't great parenting. Ah, my mum had one of those moments, you know, my dad, I'm not, I get it now. <laughs> Had you already started thinking about writing children's books before you became a mum? Yeah. I mean, I, I, um, uh, I, I, I read English at university and then I went back to art school. So I was, um, I, I was, I spent a long time in education, but I look back and I think what bit could I have missed um, because I use everything. I'm an illustrator, you know, I illustrate, uh, not the Emily Brown books, actually. That's wonderful illustrator called Neil Layton. He's so great. Um, but I illustrate my own fiction books. And so I couldn't miss that bit out. Um, but this, what's interesting is that my uh, middle daughter wanted to do the same as me. She wanted, I wanted to do English and art, which you'd have thought would be quite compatible, but there's no course in this country that allows you to do English and art together. So I was in education for quite a long time. Um, yeah. But I think it, it meant that, because I felt I was behind all my contemporaries who were all working and I was still being a student, it meant that when I did get my first book contract, I was really determined to make it work, um, even though it was in the chaos of having a baby and, and then two babies and then three babies I really needed to make it work because I needed you know I'd been wanting to do it for such a long time 
But then that piles on the pressure because you've got these little ones and then you've got this opportunity, but then you feel like you have to really go for that, even though those children are there. So it kind of makes sense then that you're probably processing everything you were going through as you were writing How to Train a Dragon. Yeah. But I think that that is what makes it resonate, what it makes it feel true. I mean, I, um, so Hiccup's relationship with Stoic is very much my relationship with my father. I put that true emotion in to... I put that true emotion into their relationship. So I don't know if you've seen the film, but when Stoic and Hiccup are trying com to communicate, and you know that they love each other very much, but they struggle to communicate because Stoic is of that generation that doesn't talk about their feelings. And and that's a very familiar thing to people, I think, that that older generation who, who are not as emotional. I'm all, you know, emotions all out there, you know, <laughs> talking the whole time. Um, but but that true relationship between my, me and my dad is what I try and put into the books. And I think that that means... And then hiccups, you know, because I admired my father, but, you know, but it was quite daunting trying to live up to somebody like that. And so hiccups feeling of, you know, not... A, inadequacy but you know anxiety about how is he ever going to be you know somebody like his dad it is very much a feeling that I put in I think you sometimes have to be honest about feelings as well as story for, for a book to, to really mean something um, and I get lots of letters from children who are being bullied or who are struggling um, at school or with contemporaries who, who or, or with trying to live up to a much-loved parent um, I get lots of letters from children, and, that, and that's very satisfying to say that the books help them. So you're trying to do a lot of, well, I'm trying to do a lot of different things in the books. I'm trying to tell a story that will get children reading for the joy of it, not because the school says they have to. Um, I'm trying to make them laugh. I'm trying to move them. But I'm also trying to make them think and help, you know, help them with the things that they're going through. It must really help you process different emotions on your own part as well as you're writing? Do you discover things about yourself as you write? These are such great questions. Yes, I think you do. And I think you discover things about yourself through being a parent as well. I think children have a lot to teach us about the important things in life. In, in Emily Brown, you know, it's often Emily Brown, it's often, often the, the child... You know, Emily Brown is the one who has the right values. And, you know, she turns down all the toys you could ever desire. That's a big bribe. You know, children instinctively know the important things in life. You know, family and actually wilderness nature. They, they know these things are important. And sometimes we lose that sense as we get adult. And, yeah, I think that having being a parent taught me a lot and, and I discover a lot, yeah, about myself when I'm writing, writing the books. Was it tricky being, having just finished all of your sort of training and your education, was it tricky factoring in when you were going to have your own family? Was it something that you always knew was going to happen, you know, in terms of a career and family life? Were you just like, let's just, let's just go for it and... What happens, happens. Yeah, because I think, I mean, maybe this, this, this won't seem old now, but I think I was 32 or something 
And back then, I suppose this was, yeah, well, I suppose this is 20, 21 years ago. That felt like a slightly older mother. I'm sure, I think people are having babies. Well, still, it's only 30, it's only 35 now where you're considered a geriatric mum. Oh. So it's 35, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it seems like a baby to me, 35, but... Um, but when you compare my own mother, who was 19, can you imagine when she had... Um, uh, so I, 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 I was longing to have ba babies. I love children. I mean, I absolutely, you know, this is partly why I do what I, I do. I, um, so I was always wanting to have... Everything just happened. Sometimes think it, things don't happen in, in exactly the right plan. Sometimes there's a reason that hiccups is another name for an accident. <laughs> things do, sometimes the best things are accidents and it certainly wasn't planned for us to start a family. I mean, I was, you know, I've, I've, my husband and I um, met when we were 21. And so we were, we were sort of childhood sweethearts, really. We should have had babies back when we... But somehow, you know how it is. Life just doesn't, you know, go to plan. And you have to embrace that. And you have mm. to go with the chaos. I think that's one of the things that it, you know, parenthood has taught me. You have to go with the chaos and, you know, not try and fight it too much. I mean, I think I was hoping to be you know, one kind of mother and parent, and sometimes the children trained me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's not, you know, you think sometimes, yeah, you think, um, you know, that things ought to be done in a certain kind of a way. Um, uh, but it depends on the child. Children are all different. Yeah, you have to adapt to the different kinds of, of child that you have. Um, well, and you can think you've got it all sussed yes. when you've got the one. You and should never be long. smug as a parent, because then the the, <laughs> the, the the gods of parenthood will come and they will teach you a lesson. <laughs> I mean, if I two, if I'd only had two of my children, I'd have been such a smug parent. <laughs> <laughs> One of them taught me a lesson. <laughs> and, but that's difficult know, to talk about, isn't it? And I know the end of the story, you know, because mine are all grown up now and they're all utterly charming. That's the other thing you told on to. <laughs> there was, you know, a little bump in the road here and there. But, you know, those children are wonderful. You know, they've grown into them as these wonderful, considerate, thoughtful adults that I'm so proud of. Um, so it must have done something, right? But that's the interesting thing, isn't it? Because there'll be people... So my middle one, who actually is the one who loves Emily Brown books, which I love, so every night we cuddle in bed, no matter what chaos has happened in the day, we cuddle up in bed, just the two of us, and we read at least two stories, maybe three... And 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 I love that. Um, but because he is the challenging one, you worry. You worry what other people are thinking. You worry about the judgment. You worry what that means. But actually, it's okay. It's okay. How old is he? How He's old? Four. Four. It's tiny. It's tiny. Yeah. It's so young. Um, yeah, I, I mean, absolutely, yes. You, you don't, I, I think as long as, as long as, you know, you're teaching them to be kind and to try and, and that's something that, 
that children have to have to learn, you know, to be able to yeah. to to think about things from other points of view. And that's one of the reasons that I think that reading with your kids is a fantastic thing to do, because um, reading not only is I mean, it's fantastic for that. It's the reading for the joy of it is is one of the two key factors in a kid's later economic success, let alone their happiness or anything like. I mean, that isn't that amazing. That cuts across all socio-economic backgrounds. It's one of the best things that you can try and bring out. But also, it helps them see things from other people's point of view. You know, it's really good for empathy. Um, and there's a lot of research to show that. So that's one of the reasons why it's really great to be trying, you know, not, not to be worrying so much about whether they can read as fluently at age six as, you know, the next kid, but whether they're reading for the joy of it, because it, it teaches them to see things from other people's point of view. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Were you ever worried that one of yours wouldn't be a like a, have a, be a lover of books? Did you ever worry about that, or was it just something that was in their nature because of how they've been brought up? The, the my kids have been surrounded by books, and you can imagine by books and yep. the creation of books like yours are uh, talking about stories all the time. Um, but one of my kids <laughs> was not a reader. <laughs> I mean, I mean, was always read to like the others, um, but was very busy, very busy, very active, didn't sit down much, um, very sort of, you know, on to the next thing. And so actually wasn't an independent, was always, I, I was still reading. I always say, always read to your kid way beyond the age they could read to themselves. But they, but because I knew that you mustn't turn it into a competitive thing or, or you mustn't um, 
uh, try and say, so-and-so is the reader, but the other one isn't. You mustn't start doing that sort of thing. I never did yeah. that. I, ha I hung tough. So I just kept on not worry, or to remind myself not to worry, but just keep on introducing different things. Um, and that kid didn't, until they came across a series called Angus Thongs and Knickers or something, I can't remember, <laughs> when they were 13. That was the first time that kid is now reading English at university, you see. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this is the thing. And, and you know, sometimes, and my kids look, watch loads of telly as well, because I was, I was busy. And also telly is all stories. I was never, um, and so much telly that one year, one of them developed an American accent. <laughs> You don't have to, it doesn't have to be by the rules. You know, what I mean is you can, as long as you're still introducing them to stories and, and audio books, if they're not interested in, you know, because that's the other thing, we're still listening to audio books. It's all stories and audio books still hearing the, all the words and still getting, it's just, I think sometimes there has to be a book series where the kid thinks, I love this book series and then it flicks in their mind that books can be fun because it is harder to decode a book, isn't it, than to watch a movie. And, and so that can be a bit of a that can be a bit of a journey, particularly if a kid has a learning difficulty. I mean, I, I, none of my kids had um, dyslexia or but I mean, I think that's even tougher if the kid has. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. How so did you juggle the writing and three children? I think it's something that people um, maybe, I don't know whether they talk, maybe, maybe they talk about it more now than they did because I wasn't expecting it to be quite so tough. Um, it was really tricky, particularly when the children were very little. And I think it was because I was so determined. I was very determined to make it work because of everything happening so late, but all at the same time, which should have been the wrong way round. But maybe if I'd been working as a children's book writer, all my 20s, I might have thought I'd have taken a break or something. But yeah. because I was just starting, I had so much to prove. So at the beginning, I just don't know how it was. It was quite chaotic. It was very chaotic at the beginning. How does it feel now that those, you know, that the kids are growing up? Have you got one at university or two, have two now? I've got two at university and just oh. I know, I know it's. It is tough. It is tough um, when they start leaving. I find that so tough um, because it's just been wonderful. I mean, even that you know, that the, the one the teenage years, which, which can be, <laughs> you think the toddler years are exciting. <laughs> they, can, <laughs> they can be very exciting. The teenage years, but you know, it's it's been wonderful. So. So, yeah, to see them, yeah, to see them leaving, you're, you're, you're proud and excited for them. And, but at the same time, it is, yeah, it is bittersweet. It's bittersweet them leaving home. How far away are they? Well, um, my elder daughter was at Brighton. In fact, she's just finishing at Brighton Art School. And um, my middle one is at Exeter. Um, okay. And my son is still just down the road um, at school. But... Um, uh, but yes, but this is another thing with lockdown is that they 
everybody's come back. They probably wouldn't be here. This is this is an unusual uh, situation. So I suppose we're trying to savour that um, yeah. going back into sort of family life again. Um, it's been a it's been a really funny time. I'm sure lots of families are finding finding this is that it's a return to. Um, you know, for, for, you know, older young adults who've who've left home coming back. Yeah. Well, someone was saying actually in another episode who has children that are just slightly younger but about to go off to uni, uh, and she was saying how you almost get them back at a point where you would normally be losing them. Yeah. It's it's it, so I have been trying to cherish that because I know <laughs> that, that is something that one will lose again. You know, and rightly, you know, of course, you know, this is. Um, the How to Train Your Dragon books and the Wizards of Once books are all about growing up. It's all about growing up. It's about, um, and the How to Train Dragon is narrated by Hiccup as an adult looking back on his own childhood. And, you know, that's, that's the theme of Wizards of Once as well. It's about growing up, which is a wonderful thing, but also always bittersweet because you know one day, one day it's going to happen. Um, and so... That kind of bittersweetness, I always try and get into my books because it is, you know, if you're to be a good parent is to let go. It's it's like when yeah. Hiccup lets go of Toothless at the end, you know, you have to let go. But that's hard. I got a dog. <laughs> Called Pigeon. I got a dog. Pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> Which I couldn't, I love dogs as well. I could never have coped with the dog when the children were little and I was trying to. Um, so, yeah, I got a dog, um, which made it feel less, oh, heart-wrenching um, when the eldest one... Do you think the, the youngest one leaving will hit even harder because then they'll all have flown? The youngest one isn't in such a hurry, it has to be said. They're all different. <laughs> the youngest one definitely <laughs> would be perfectly happy to, to stay as long as we'd let them. <laughs> They're all well, he's different. the only one left, so <laughs> he's probably well, like, I think, all the attention. Just, I think that's just that one's character, you know. That one, you know, definitely is like, can I stay here till I'm 40 sort of type of character. Whereas <laughs> there are other ones who we're like, I hope they'll never listen to this podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one of them asked me very seriously in GCCs, they said, um, I was thinking of moving out for A-levels. <laughs> I said, really? <laughs> they said, oh, yes, everyone does it. <laughs> oh, really? yeah. So they're all different, aren't they? Some of them are yeah. in a hurry to move on and, and some of them want to go more slowly that's one of the things I really learned as a parent they're so different aren't they children and you have to you have to adapt you have to be a different kind of a parent because one one size to does each not, one yeah one size does not fit yeah. all and you know one thing that worked you know with one is not necessarily gonna not gonna work with another one which can be frustrating when you're figuring it out you know, it can be like, why isn't this working? I'm using my parenting tools here. Why is it not working? Your power, which <laughs> has been hard earned. <laughs> yeah, you see, you see I, I remember that feeling as well. I, I, I really would have loved to have had four, <laughs> four children, but life has 
chaotic. I mean, I couldn't really, you know, it couldn't really have four because it was so chaotic. Anyway, um, uh, but one of the reasons I was particularly keen to have four was that I felt I'd learnt, you know, finally, you know, <laughs> with the third one, you know, I'd finally, you know, cracked the parenting thing. You know? And I'd learnt all these skills, you know. And so surely I could just have one more and then I could get it right this time. You know those parenting gods would have been like, ha ha. They would have told you. You're quite right. I'd probably have had twins. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, my gosh. Yes. It must feel strange how, you know, we're talking about that first day of, of school and that life and you're lo- you're not losing a part of them, but you are letting go and their social cir- circles are, are broadening beyond you and the family unit. And then now, with them li- not at home... They've they've got this like it must feel strange not to know what they're doing every day, what they're reading, whether they've had a bath, you know, all these things that you do. <laughs> yeah, because you're but you see, they're only a phone call away. Or oh, mind you, they don't always answer their phone. <laughs> and that's stressing. But you see, whenever yeah. I had one kid who, who didn't really answer their phone at all, and that did get stressy because you knew knew they had the had the phone. Um, but then I had to remind myself when I was when I was growing up, I mean, nobody could ever phone me. I mean, I went to China and didn't when I was 18 and didn't speak to my parents for six months. They couldn't, you know, um, I know um, my my uh, brother-in-law talks about trying to meet somebody. You couldn't phone people. He was trying to meet a friend. And so he he said, let's meet in the square in, I don't know, Paris at on X date. But, you know, you couldn't you couldn't phone. You know, it, we were much more. So even now with older children, you can stay in touch. I'm saying this and I'm, then I'm thinking, actually, actually no, they don't always answer the phone. Sometimes I have to contact through Instagram. <laughs> so, Please. Oh, you're on here. You're still alive. Can you phone yes, me back, please? please. Could you phone me back? But then when you say it like that, it's almost a bit of a shame, isn't it, that the world has become so small in a way that you do that you are always accessible, whereas sometimes I guess it is nice to switch off. Not from your mum, but you know you know what I mean? Like imagine if you were phoning back every day when you're in China. It's a very different experience to that independence. You didn't you didn't have you couldn't rely on other people, your parents to kind of what am I doing? Where am I going? How am I going to do this? You're completely on your own. You didn't even have Google, you know? No. And sometimes I do think it's difficult for 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 children um to you know because parents can check up on them a lot more and sometimes that's not a very healthy thing i think because children do need to be able to make their own mistakes and to do things without the adults you know peering over their shoulder all the time but it's hard Mm. it's hard because we love our children so much it's like it's like your heart is wandering out, <laughs> out, yeah, uh, out there, uh, isn't it? Um, and to have the courage to know that they are going to make mistakes. I mean, it, it takes courage. It's difficult. 
I guess because we worry so much about them as when they're younger because they're with us and you worry about them falling or doing things physically. But actually it's as they get older and and they almost, you, you don't know what's happening in their lives and, and opening up those conversations and things like that and, and laying those foundations so that they can talk to you. It's all that worry as they get older. What has been the most difficult, I think I know what you're going to say from what you said earlier, but what's been the most difficult stage so far to navigate your way through in parenthood? The toddler stage, the pre-sort of reason stage, yeah. And that was replicated. It's quite similar in the teen stage. The teen one can be very difficult. And you're quite right. You've put your finger on it. I think there comes a moment when you're trying to be the Hannah Montana kind of parent, you know. <laughs> you are grounded, young lady. <laughs> <laughs> and it just doesn't work. You know, the kid looks at you yeah. and just walks out the door anyway and that's the moment when you realize oops right so what it does rely on is that communication and and talking about talking I think the talking is so important talking and treating them like an adult even though they're not yet trying to talk things through um, was something that was really important, and you you can do that with a teenager. I think I think the I think the the toddler one is very very diff, difficult because if you have a toddler who who literally can't reason, who where reason doesn't get through because for whatever reason the brain isn't quite developed yet, um, mm -hmm. that's so difficult. Um, In both stages, it's that almost wrestle for control you know, or not being controlled, of kind of having that free will and wanting to do stuff. And then as a teenager, that kind of comes back with a vengeance because they can just walk out of the door. Yes, they can. And the thing is, all you can do is talk and hope that you trust their judgment. That's all you can do. And that is, um, that takes courage. A lot of parenting takes quite a lot of courage. Yeah. Well, and because I think you're always put on this pedestal as a parent and then when you start showing your weaknesses your vulnerabilities your the bits that you're not well showing that you're not perfect because no one is it's that it must be that weird thing as they grow up where they start seeing you as a human not you know you know it must be a, an interesting sort of thing to go through yeah that was one of the ways that I wanted to be a slightly different kind of a parent I was much more comfortable with, with showing uh, that I wasn't perfect or accepting that I wasn't imperfect in front of my children. I don't know whether that was, <laughs> I don't know whether that was the right thing to do. Um, but I don't think anyone knows what they're doing is right. Do they? Everyone's just making it up. Yes. I think there's just that thing sometimes with children, there, isn't there? They just see that vision as that all-knowing. But like our son Buzz, so he just says to Tom, you know everything. And Tom's like, well, I don't, I don't know everything. Sweet. Hang on, is that the four-year-old or the six-year-old? He's the six-year-old, yeah. Oh. And then so when Tom said, I don't know everything, and he calls Tom's dad Ewad, and Tom said, you know, Ewad knows the lots. And, he was, and Buzz went, yeah, Ewad knows everything. So it's that <laughs> idealisation. Oh, hold on to that. Hold on to that, because that won't carry on forever. <laughs> yeah, what do you know, yeah, Mum? Yeah, what do you know? <laughs> that, 
teenagers will be looking at you like you're a gnat. When you're being condescended to by your teenager, you will look back at those adoring... You see, that's why it's very important to get a dog at that stage. The dog. <laughs> <laughs> I read something actually where you said um, about you know all the films and the successes and stuff, and you said you know you but home nothing changes. You always yeah. know where you are at home, and You're... I know my place is just above the dog. Yes, you're never a hero <laughs> in your own home, and definitely my authority is just above the dog. It used to be that they all looked up to me. Uh, but now I'm the second smallest in the family and definitely <laughs> my status <laughs> is just above Pigeon. That's why it's so important to get Pigeon, because then she's looking up at you with the adoring eyes. The adoring eyes. She's wagging her tail when you come in the door, you know, because that is lovely. That's what you do get at the four and the six-year-old stage, isn't it? Mm. I mean, they still love you. They still absentmindedly will come and hug you and you know when they're <laughs> when they're thinking about it <laughs> but it's not that total adoration um that yeah. your dog will give you <laughs> but then i imagine in the same way do the conversations still surprise you every now and then actually but you know that that's one thing that i was not a very authoritarian parent but one thing i was very um was was meal times is that I really tried to get, have one meal together, even when they were being teenagers. Um, and that is something that I think is really, really this personally, I just, it's partly because I love food. I'm so greedy. <laughs> but it's also because I think those conversations, you know, it's, it's very, you know, you then don't have to say, oh, let's talk about this now, you know. Uh, and so, yes, two things that we did that I'm really pleased that we did was one was the, the family mealtime, which my children say actually not all their friends do, you know, just because it does depend on, you know, some parents don't get back till, you know, too late. Um, but that was something we were lucky enough to be able to do. And that means that, that it's not so different. We were always, you know, there's a lot of political discussion in our family. There's lots of, lots of discussion of everything over mealtime. The other thing that we did that we started really young it was we did the bedtime story and that was even when I was knackered. I always say 10 minutes, 10 minutes a day, even when you're dying. <laughs> <laughs> you're dying to reach for a glass of wine. You know? <laughs> Just 10 minutes. Do that, you know, if you can, uh, 10 minutes a day reading aloud to the kid, even when they're older. Um, that's really important. Um, but even after that, at bedtime, we'd say, so tell me one good thing that happened today and one bad thing. And it was just a really silly little ritual. But it was really, it was a, something that carried on until my son was really old. I, oh, luckily, I don't think they're going to listen. <laughs> I'm just thinking I'm saying all these things. They'll probably be really cross with me. But we carried that on really late. And that was an, another opportunity just to reflect on the day. And that's why I think a bedtime story is very good as well, because it, they're often reflective. It's talking, you know, to, talking about 
you know, things if you're reading, I don't know, the Gruffalo or, you know, the smartest giant in town or... That's what I read tonight. Oh, did you? I literally, I read that tonight, yeah. That always <laughs> makes me cry. I know. The smartest <laughs> giant in town. No, the kindest giant in town. Yeah. Oh, I'm tearing up just thinking about it. <laughs> you see, kindness, empathy. Yeah. It's all about kindness, you see. And you see, you're reading, who you were reading that to, not to Buzz, which one were you reading to that Buddy, to? To Buddy, to I was Buddy, I was reading that one too. Yeah. You see, Buddy, you're, he will be hearing that about being the kindest giant in town, you see. And yeah. that will be in his mind, you know. It will it'll be helping him be a kind human being. Um, yes, yeah, so so those, that, you know, bedtime story, but also that talking about, you know, good things that happen and... And bad things that happen, it's just reflecting just before bed, which is, you know, nighttime is a time where children are sorting out. We're all sorting out and trying to process what happened during the day. So I think I think that was a really nice sort of, you know, sometimes things need to be rituals just because we're... And that's why I was really quite fierce about the... And I had to be with my husband because he, he grew up in a single-parent family where he often you know, the mealtime wasn't a big thing. So it was mm. something that I had to really push through. Um, but I felt that was, a you know, these rituals are good because when you're all so busy, you know, sometimes that time for communication just gets squeezed and squeezed. But even if you have these, if you have these rituals, there are these moments where, yeah, you can talk. And, and that time can just vanish. I mean, lots of parents talk about how, you know, if they drive their kid to school, that can become, you know, a time, you know, that's a sort of manufactured ritual, isn't it? Where you yeah. start talking in a natural way. We never had that because, you know, their children always walked to school. But yeah, but it is important, I think, looking back now. That's one thing I think I did right. <laughs> you got it. You got it. You got There are many things I did wrong, but that, those are just a couple of things I think I did right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess it must be really strange thinking, you know, you are the parent you are because of the way that your parents parented you and you kind of looked at it and kind of went, you know, I'm not going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to do it this way because I feel you know, maybe this wasn't quite right. And it's interesting thinking about how our children are going to go, are going to look back at us. <laughs> They're going to say, oh, yes. <laughs> They're going to say, she should have laid down firmer boundaries. <laughs> <In> fact, <laughs> one of my children already says that to me. <laughs> firmer boundaries. You should have done. <laughs> so are you the mum you thought you were going to be? I think I really was quite anxious about becoming a mother. I think I was quite anxious about becoming a mother. I think, I, you know, I think I've been, what's the expression, good enough. And the children, are, the children are fabulous. You know, as I say, you know, now that they're young adults, you know, I, I'm so proud of them. You know, they are, you know, they've got the right principles and they're mature and, you know, loving and kind. And, you know, so... Um, those are the truly important things. But, you know, I'm sure I've, done, I've definitely, you know, made lots of mistakes. Um, but that is something I think our, our generation is much more questioning. I also felt when I was having little children, it was quite a, um, 
it felt quite daunting. I don't know if that's the same now. I, yeah, I think it is. I think because you... Uh, well, I think the judgment is being stripped away, you know, and I think there is a lot more support. But then I would I would say that because of Happy Mum, Happy Baby and being part of this community. Um, but I think, yeah, you do you do question everything and kind of go, oh, if I do this, what's that going to mean? And, you know, what what in turn is that going to do? But it's interesting because I spoke to my mum. So uh, earlier this year, I wrote a book, a collection of letters on motherhood. And my mum was reading some of the letters that were addressed to her because I wanted her to read them before and be, make sure that she was happy with them before they went in. And um, she cried after she read hers. And she said, was I a good mum? Was I good enough? And I thought, oh, mum, like, of course you are. But it's really interesting that even further down the line, we will question ourselves and whether we did enough, whether we were enough. And I just, you know, it broke my heart that my mum would even question that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think you never are. You're never going to be quite good enough, are you? I mean, and... and you know, probably I was I was more anxious. I mean, I, I wish I'd been less anxious, you know, because I think that probably transmits itself. But I do think that sort of there was a definite culture when I was having babies where, you know, are you breastfeeding? Are you doing things in the right way? Have you had the right kind of birth weighing your baby? You know, it's all done with the best of intentions, but it made me worry that all all the time that I wasn't being quite good enough and I hope that has changed I don't know whether it has I think there's still an air of it but it's it's getting that message out there that it doesn't matter because only you know what works for you and your family so Joan down the road can say what she likes about you know having a dummy or co-sleeping or going on like formula Joan's not there she doesn't know your family yeah and you think that that's, that's a lovely thing. And you think that that is definitely advanced. You know, there's definitely mothers are more feeling and fathers are feeling less judged. Yes, because I think the judgment just comes with so much shame, doesn't it? And then you, you then get scared of going out. So I, I really hope that in doing things like the podcast and the books that are, you know, out there, that people gain that confidence and, and see that we're all just making it up and there's no one right way. And I always feel that people are really adamant about what they think is right because they've had a difficult or tricky journey and they have stumbled upon something that's worked and therefore they feel really passionate about it. So they start throwing it and like you, you know, onto other people. Um, but you've got to take it all in and just let it go, I think. Yeah. And you are right. I mean, that, the most important thing is the happy mum and the happy, happy, happy child. Baby. Yeah, 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 yeah. So if you had to write a letter on motherhood... Who would it be to and what would it say? I sort of am writing. That's what I'm doing all the time. That's what I'm doing in, in the books all the time. It's all reflections on, on motherhood. My, you know, the motherhood, it's not just motherhood, it's parenthood. Um, and so the books are really, those are my, my letters. It's, it's like a big letter on on parenthood and I suppose what you're really you're not writing I'm not writing that's interesting you would be writing to your mother and I wouldn't really I think I would be writing to the next generation 
Because what you're always trying to do is you're trying to make the world a slightly better place than when you arrived in it. That's what we're all trying to do, isn't it? Um, and that's, you know, so all of the themes I suppose I'm trying to talk about are about, you know, um, being creative and um, is, is for the next generation. We're going to need children of the future to be more creative, more intelligent, more in touch with nature better parents than we were. That's what we're always doing. So I wouldn't be writing to the previous generation. Oh, I wrote to all sorts. I wrote to different bodily parts, yeah, to Tom, to the kids, yeah. It was all just mother-themed, um, but it, it really helped me accept certain bits as well and just kind of process how I feel. Um, so, yeah, oh, there's all sorts. But there were letters to my mum thrown in. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, no, I think I'm writing for the for the next for the next generation, <laughs> in the in the endless hope that the, the things things are always going to move forward over time. Yeah, we're going to get better. <laughs> I end each episode with you finishing three sentences. Okay. 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 Being a mum means. Oh, everything to me. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it does mean everything to me. It's been the happy... I shouldn't say it in the past because you're a mum forever. But because my children are leaving home, it's been the happiest, happiest time of my life. Yeah. Since having children, I... Oh, God, you're making me cry. <laughs> 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 oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Since having children... I just think I have, this has been the best part of my life. I've written the best books um, that I've ever written. I have just, it's just been joyous. I mean, even the difficult, I'm not, I'm not trying to say it wasn't chaotic. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, crazy at times, but it's just been joyous. It's the happiest, it's the wine of my life. That, that, that <laughs> this, this last 20 years has been the happiest time of my life I'm happy when I'm happy when I'm with my children I'm with my husband I'm with my dog I'm by the sea I'm in my garden I'm cooking I've got my I'm looking at my flowers yeah walking walking gardens cook eating lovely family meals <laughs> outside with my children and that's a lot another lovely thing about I, I love hearing you saying how you're walking with the kids and the kids are exploring um you know that's the lovely thing about having the dog as well is the children get you outside don't you you're always you know and yeah. um uh and and the children's relationship you know playing outside is something i think you miss um so it's lovely to have a dog, a dog who will do that same thing Okay, Cressida, before we go, you're a very busy woman. What's happening right now? Oh, right now, um, I, I've got a new book out, Wizards Once, Not Three Times, um, which has just come out in paperback. And you can download my charter, my laureate charter. It sounds so grand, doesn't it? My laureate charter it does. From, the, <laughs> from the Book Trust website, which has got 10 points to get children reading. All children. Amazing. Yeah, because books are magic and magic is for everyone. <laughs> Christina, thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very, very much. It's been a really lovely interview. I've really enjoyed it. 